Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski. We're going to open the show today, as we always do, by stating that the goal of the series is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving, in some way, the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. In today's episode, we are continuing with our current series focused on value-based care solely from the view of the health plan. We always refer to our universe of value-based care as the world of the four Ps, patients, providers, plans, and payers. The health plan is at the center of these Ps and interacts separately with each of the other three of the four Ps, self-funded payers, providers, and patients. Therefore, it's very important that the others understand the goals and needs of the health plan. To continue this series, we have chosen Dr. Amy McKenzie, the Associate Chief Medical Officer and Vice President of Clinical Partnerships at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. In her current role, Dr. McKenzie and her team provide clinical leadership for value-based provider programs and risk contracting. She helps to enable and support the provider network through education, communication, and practice transformation partnerships. She also leads the team responsible for enterprise-wide behavioral health strategy. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, I look forward. I look forward to it. We're going to have a great discussion this morning. How would you describe the view of value-based care from the position of the health plan? Yeah, so when I look at value-based care, um, it really is an approach to align the core tenets of what's been described as the quadruple aim um, to the way that healthcare is paid for. So, um, you know, delivering um, higher value in healthcare was initially described, as many of you know, as the triple aim, right, where we're focusing on population health, improving quality for populations, improving patient experience, and managing cost. Um, over time, in, in looking at different things, uh, I think people became aware that um, you also need to manage the provider satisfaction in that relationship in order to get all of those things to work. Um, so, you know, if you have a provider that is um, overburdened, burned out, uh, they're not going to be managing their patients as well um, either. So it's really um, aligning how we pay for healthcare. Um, with trying to deliver all of those things, which is something that, you know, we as um, a health plan are interested in, but um, so are our customer groups and, you know, us as patients, right, who are navigating the healthcare system. We want to have a good experience. We want to have high quality care. Um, those are the common things that I get asked when people are looking for, where do I go? Who should I go to? Who's going to give me the best care in the system? Those are the types of things that people are looking for. But we also want to make sure that we're keeping care affordable, right? I think about my kids and my grandkids, and we all have to be able to afford uh, the health care that's being delivered as well. So that's why all those core tenants are kind of stacked up the way that they are. So what are your biggest challenges? What, what keeps you up at night in your role? Yeah, so I think the big challenges are really, as we try to think about how we put this model together, right, the evolution of the model, there's been a number of different ways that, you know, our payment models have evolved from fee for service to how we pay for higher value with incentives to, you know, capitated payments where you, you know, kind of give a lump sum to certain groups. 
But as you start looking at this as a system, we have to think about how we tie all of those pieces together so everybody has the right incentives to be able to perform, but then also be rewarded appropriately for the, for the high quality care. That's what we want for our providers to be, have the right incentives so that it's not just feeling like it's reporting, um, but that they're being able to be um, measured and tied into, um, you know, delivering the best care and then being rewarded for that. Um, and that becomes complicated when you start looking at, well, you have payments going on at the ACOs. And then we also have specialists to think about. Like primary care is very important, right? We know that there's um, significant studies out there that primary care, you know, adds value and adds, you know, um, longevity to populations. And so we know that that model is important. Um, but increasingly, as we are getting, you know, we're having a population that ages, that has more chronic conditions and are interfacing with specialists more. How do we also then develop models of care as well as payment models that are aligned to that to make sure that our specialists are being appropriately recognized and rewarded and pulled into that system and working collaboratively with our PCPs. That's really what we want. And that's where the kind of nirvana, I guess, sits, right? Um, is that interaction um, because things that drive, you know, frustration for patients are when they're path is not linear, right? Through the system, go over here, then go there. And, you know, or they have fragmentation, right? You know, I, I just had that x-ray and now I'm repeating the same x-ray because I'm seeing a different specialist and they don't have access to my services or to the, to the prior um, results that um, happen. So being able to tie that so that everybody has kind of the right incentives and also communication and reducing fragmentation is really important. The idea, and I think, you know, you and I talked a little bit before about this is, you know, the goal for patients is to have the most linear path through their care journey to be able to get the care that they need and feel better. That's what all of us want, right? Um, and so we are aligned with that and looking for that as well. So um, it, it's challenging to set up all of those systems that interact, but I do think it, it's feasible. We're, we're working toward that and requires, again, um, listening to our providers, understanding where they're seeing um, yeah, there, there are things that we can do differently and this is how, and this is how we, you know, we, um, incentivize better the work we're doing and measure it. So, uh, we feel very strongly here at Blue Cross that the only way that we're going to solve these issues is in partnership with our providers. Um, I, I don't think you can do it any other way. It, we talk about primary care, specialty care, but we probably should be talking about total care, total care for the patient. And then based upon the patient's specific illness uh, profile, which part gets taken care of by the primary care, which, which part gets taken care of by the specialist, and which part should be. And it's so hard to get those incentives aligned so that we're actually paying people for the ultimate total care outcome. Okay, enough about challenges. What have been your biggest, your biggest success stories? Time to boast. Yeah. So um, I would say that our biggest successes, you know, we, we've had a number of them, you know, we've been partnered on this kind of value-based journey for a number of years with our providers. Um, you know, it started with our kind of patient-centered medical home with our, our PCPs, um, but also in conjunction with that, we've partnered um, heavily with our specialists on our collaborative quality initiatives which are groups of like-minded um, specialists who are working on challenging issues for their particular specialty. So we have a, a 
collaborative quality initiative that's focused on, you know, cardiac, cardiac care and cardiac casts and angioplasties. We have one that's focused on surgery. We have one that's focused on bariatric surgery. We have a number, we have, you know, um, close to 20 now, um, when you uh, all told of different CQIs that are focusing on specialty care that our patients are receiving. Um, increasingly, we're starting to branch into um, those specialists that are also delivering more longitudinal care. So you think about like diabetes and endocrinologists and, you know, um, COPD and pulling in our pulmonologists. Um, because there's different types of specialty care, right? There's those that are more discrete episodes um, that, you know, we've seen some evolution of payment models that are out there, you know, bundled type payments and things that are pulling in value. But then there's also these more that are interfacing in the longitudinal way. So I, I would say that, you know, those are big successes for us, um, you know, in terms of partnership with our providers and being able to measure the quality. And we're now starting to reward our specialists based upon the quality of things that we can't measure through claims, frankly. So those are big kind of foundational programs that have been very successful. Building upon that, we've stood up a bundled payment program with our orthopedic providers. We're having conversations with additional specialists around how we build kind of future payment models that, again, ties to the care that they are delivering and when they're best positioned to be able to take care of that patient for that particular episode. We also have, as you mentioned, I heard you mention a little earlier, those total cost of care programs. Those are really important to consider as well. And we have um, a um, our Blueprint for Affordability program, which is basically a um, ECO-like model. So it's at our um, our risk entity level, it's managing total cost of care. And so, um, you know, we don't have all the pieces solved yet, but we are working toward that. And um, it's, you know, a key part of that, as I've mentioned, is, is the partnership with our providers. We couldn't do this without our physicians and our community helping to provide that leadership and also that input into how we build these models. Uh, a spinoff question from your total cost of care models. Out of curiosity, does that include pharma? Ours do include pharmacy, Medicaid, yeah, pharmaceuticals. So um, it's, you know, there are definitely challenges when you pull in pharmacy as well. Um, but we are working to be able to provide insights. There are ways through that, and there are uh, still opportunities to be able to help manage pharmacy costs. When you start looking at what our employer groups care about, as you've outlined the four P's, right? They're really, they're looking at the end of the day at what their total cost is. And that's why we felt pharmacy was important to incorporate. Um, it's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we as physicians have the power of the pen, um, you know, so we do have influence. We know that there are certain things that, you know, may sit outside of our control, but we do have a significant um, impact on the overall cost based upon what we are recommending for our patients, where we're recommending their care, um, ensuring that, you know, trying to get patients to, you hear this, it's kind of a cliche term almost, but the right care at the right time in the right location, right? Selecting those patients. We know some patients are going to be more complicated and going to need more like when they have a surgery, more of an inpatient setting. There are many that um, have lower risk profiles and that, you know, ambulatory surgical centers or outpatient facilities may be um, very good for them to be able to have their, you know, their procedures um, in, in a lower cost setting. The uh, pharmaceutical piece is really interesting to me because, you know, I always bring things back to a GI point of view whenever I can. 
some of our biologics are on the medical claims, mm-hmm. whereas others are on the PBM side, on the pharma side. And using, using what you just said, you know, the, the right drug for the right patient at the right time for the right reason, if I'm in a, a total cost of care model that doesn't include pharma, hmm, I could take that patient off the infused biologic that's on the that's on the medical claims and put that patient on a self-administered one and I look really good. Yeah. Is it the right thing for the patient though? Is is that is that really the right thing at the right time? So, you know, the PBMs are just looking at it. Maybe that's another P, or maybe that's a fifth P, but but they're they're looking at it just from their book of business and saying, well, you know, we'd rather you you put that patient on the on the infused side because that gets it off their their book of business. So I I applaud you on a true total cost of care uh, solution because that really is the way it has to be. Yeah, if you're not looking at total cost of care, you're you are missing that overall picture, right? Just sliding things between different benefit structures isn't really uh, getting at the intent of you know managing cost. So, so if you were gonna if if you had your own choice about everything, okay, and you were going to design what you consider to be the the ideal value based proposal for your your plan, what would it look like? Yeah, so I'm going to come back to kind of some of the um, themes that I outlined. And, you know, as we were talking about that, the first question that you had is really, to me, the ideal value-based model of care is one that is engaging, you know, both our specialists and our PCPs along that patient's entire journey. And then being able to attribute care in a way of who is best positioned to care for that patient during a particular time. Like I think, you know, I, I'm on primary care, you know, for um, my life, you know, that's, that's, uh, I was family physician. And um, so, you know, there are certain time periods in a patient's life where, you know, their cancer treatment, for example, like the oncologist is largely managing the primary care for that patient during those episodes. End-stage renal disease is another great example, right? It's the nephrologist who largely is taking over. And so, you know, when you're setting up kind of an overall value-based care model, you want to ensure that, you know, the person who's primary is the one that is really mostly tied to that total cost of care, because they're the ones that is largely managing that. Um, but you then also have to think about, well, how do you fit in the episodic pieces, right? Um, the, the times where the patient has to go have their, you know, their hip replaced or their knee replaced in that overall total cost of care system. And so fitting those pieces together in the ideal model and in that ideal model, you're incentivizing the highest patient quality, right? Uh, it's not suffering for cost. We know that, you know, high quality and cost, they shouldn't be you know, in two separate conversations as if they are distinct. Um, High quality care promotes cost effectiveness. We know that as clinicians, right? It's all part of what we we learned and what we trained on. Um, So there are certainly decisions that you can make within that. We talked about some of those appropriate decisions around site of care and those types of things, but ensuring that our patients are getting high quality care and that they're having a good experience is all part of that. And so, and also in a system where we are more tightly partnered and we have the right incentives, 
um, being able to take off some of the constraints that get in the way, the administrative things that we know are really challenging for our providers. I think in that world where we're able to, you know, enter into those kind of shared risk type of models, um, there's that, that place that exists where we can start saying, well, we're not going to apply all of the same levels of oversight that we did, right? Or we're going to turn that oversight over and then you report back to us on kind of how you're managing those types of things. So it becomes that more deeply partnered relationship that I talked about at the beginning. A lot of things become possible when we're in a risk environment. That, that's definitely the case. I'm going to break here for a second. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Dr. Amy McKenzie, Associate Chief Medical Officer at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Amy, I'm going to switch our focus a little bit here. Um, and it's appropriate based upon our earlier discussion. Um, you mentioned uh, places where Blue Cross of Michigan has, has had its focus. At Sonar, we often hear that GI is not our focus this year. How does the how does the plan decide what is in focus? Yeah, so just like you know, every system, health, you know, uh, health systems, hospitals, you know, facilities, um, we are looking at you know a, a number of things that we have to address. And as we move into specialty care, there's a lot of um, opportunities in that space of things that we need to build. I do think GI is is one of those very important areas. We know that you know uh, inflammatory bowel disease, as you mentioned, it's a significant area where there is that longitudinal management, and there's opportunities around that. Um, so it's more about, you know, how do we prioritize the work, um, based upon kind of what we need to do, you know, we're still building out oncology models of care that will fit within kind of that overall total cost of care construct, which we just launched, you know, um, two years ago. And so we are increasingly stepping into that specialist space and going, okay, what models of care and what payment models tied to those models of care are going to make sense. So it's going to take us, you know, a little while, but we are committed that this is a really important portion of the work that we are doing and that we're going to be doing as the population ages and we're seeing increases in chronic disease. So um, I, I wouldn't say that any one specialty more or less important. They are all important. They're all like our patients are interfacing with all of our specialists. It really is just like, how do we prioritize like the things that, you know, as we move through those models, um, you know, we, um, we also have our CQIs, as I mentioned, we're continuing to look at how we tie value because we, we do feel like, you know, what we've seen is we are able to get better quality measures there than uh, just about anywhere. Uh, we've looked at claims and, you know, we can measure certain things, your utilization within emergency departments or inpatient, and that all is important. Um, but understanding like, um, what's your complication rates? What's your, you know, um, you know, uh, level of transfusion rates with a particular, you know, uh, procedure, um, you know, your, your infections following procedures. That's all information that we've been able to get more through our um, collaborative quality initiatives where we're able to get more granular data. So we're continuing to push into, into that space as well and tie value-based measures into that space. Um, so that's work that we are doing across the existing CQIs and we're looking at where we can continue to build opportunities. So, and I think GI is an important area. Where do you see ACOs fitting into your strategy? How do you see them fitting in? Yeah, we do think that um, ACOs play an important role. They're probably not the only role, right? Um, because we still have people who are living in rural areas. 
who are more outlying that we're going to have to think about what other models make sense. We do watch what CMMI is doing closely with CMS and weigh in. Um, you know, we think that there are opportunities for additional model growth. You know, palliative care is one area heavily underutilized in our country, right? Um, you know, and so those are areas where we think that there's continued opportunities for growth as well. But we do think that the ACO model is an important model, but it's not the only important model. And, you know, this idea of what other models need to uh, be in place to drive because just just putting out total cost of care without thinking about what the underlying care model is going to look like to be able to drive that, um, it, you know, it's not going to be successful. So you have to start thinking about all of the components within a healthcare system and the things that are needed and the tools that physicians need in order to be able to drive toward addressing cost while not compromising quality and also providing for that patient experience. So, so we're very supportive of the continued evolution of those models. I also will say, you know, putting on kind of my, both my payer, and my, but a little more my provider hat, providers can't deal with a bunch of different models from all, all over the place, right? This healthcare plan is doing this and this one's doing that. Um, we are very much a proponent of you know, having multi-payer models that make sense um, because, you know, I, I don't have time when I'm in the office to look up, is this the Blue Cross model? Is this the, you know, um, Cigna model? Is this the, you know, so um, it, being able to do care in the way that we deliver care for patients, you know, we deliver care for patients, right? So, um, so you don't want to have like when it's just impossible to manage the logistics of having one care model for a particular group. So, so we're very much a proponent of where we can tie in with CMS and other payers um, to be able to help promote care models. We're very much a proponent of that as well. Well, uh, again, I'm very pleased to hear your answer to that question. So am I reading you correctly? You sort of feel there should be some skeletal infrastructure to an ACO that uh, over and above the, the health plan just turning over responsibility to that ACO, you owe a responsibility to your members that that ACO has some value-based skeletal infrastructure that not guarantees, but promotes the right outcome for you. Absolutely. Every one of our contracts, when we are looking at, you know, ACO type models, um, has components embedded in there around expectations of delivery of quality, as well as delivery on patient experience. Um, you know, those are our important components as we look at partnering with our providers at, you know, in risk, because, in, you know, um, we are not just after, you know, cost at all cost. <laughs> we are right. after, you know, um, trying to drive better quality and patient experience and knowing that when we are doing the right things, that results in a better overall um, control of the member's condition. So thinking about how do we get care upstream? How do we get the right resources to the right patients? Making, you know, having the data to be able to stratify patients by their risk and then apply the appropriate care models to those patients. So um, all of those things are part of taking risk um, and have to be built into that overall care model to be successful. At the end of the well, day, it's, it's taking care of patients, right? Ab absolutely. Absolutely. My final big category of questions here is going to surround point solutions. 
you and I have both participated in the Blue Venture Medical Advisory Board, and we, we, we see these solutions coming in. And I'm sure in your position at Blue Cross of Michigan, you must be getting inundated with point solutions. Someone comes in, they've got a solution for this small component of the entire value chain. And through the COVID experience, virtualization has occurred. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing companies come in and disintermediate the doctor-patient relationship using a, a technology or you know some type of a, a point solution. So what do you how, how do you approach this? How do you approach these these small point solutions? Hmm. Um, this is a challenging one because there are, there, you know, there are definitely um, things that are coming into the market that I think are going to, you know, enhance the way that we take care of patients, right? Uh, provide some of those tools that we just talked about that are needed. Um, but we are looking at it in a way of how do we do it in a partnered way with our existing provider community? You know, I think about like remote patient monitoring. That's a great evolution. It's going to be able to help patients to better understand their blood sugar and share that with providers. It helps our you know, providers to better be able to manage things like congestive heart failure or you know, COPD and keep people out of the hospital. So those tools that are coming in that are being developed as part of these point solutions, we see as tremendous value, figuring out how you get it into the overall care continuum um, in a way that is promoting um, you know, kind of that again, promoting uh, the best care possible, but not disintermediating the relationships that exist, I think is, is the, the challenge, right? That we exist, that, you know, exists within our marketplace right now. So um, there are definitely point solutions that we think are of value. Um, and when I say point solutions, there, I should say technologies and things that are coming as part of those point solutions, but we are still trying to think about that overall patient provider relationship at the end of the day and keeping the patient at the center, I think is really core to that. Well, I'm totally in agreement with you. The, the challenge is to not disin- not disintermediate that doctor patient relationship, because I think the patient suffers in the process. Yeah. You know, we have to, we have to figure out how to balance uh, the needs for patients to get care where they're in control of their own future and yet still maintain the, them in, in, a, in a care solution with their provider. Amy, thank you so much. You, you've, uh, you've really shown that the solution is to, to collaborate and to partner with each other. Uh, what's the saying? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So I, I think you certainly have uh, made that very clear to us. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. Well, for our audience, thank you for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join.